it's the strength of the system that runs the practice. And that's what you want, you know, because you own the system. Unfortunately, you don't own people <laughs> and they come and go, but you do own the system. So it's, it's worth investing into your own system. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 198 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In 2007, 2008 and 2013, Chen and Naylor was nominated by BRW as Australia's fastest growing accounting practice. In 2013 alone, Chen and Naylor grew by 43% to almost 19 million revenue. How were they able to grow so fast, almost doubling in size in one year? Yes, a large part of this came through acquisitions, but at least 15% came from organic growth, which is impressive. So I asked Ed Chen how they did it and learned about the three pillars of growth. I've been very lucky in, in having the, the business get as big as it has and it runs by itself so I, I don't get involved at all and um, I, I come back here once a month for a board meeting and Cindy runs it and she just goes through the stats the, the financials with me and I go great we'll see you next month and then I come back and then I ended up having quite a bit of time on my hands and um, financially I'm you know, I'm, I've never wanted to build, you know, I was, was never wanted to be a big, you know, empire builder. I wasn't like that. I was just more, you know, I just wanted to be financially independent. That's all I wanted to be because I don't have a high-flying lifestyle. I, I have a very low profile in terms of my lifestyle. And then I, I achieved that long, long time ago, and uh, it was just my way of giving back, you know, and I felt that giving back to the accounting industry was the best way because, it created such a huge, if we get it right, it creates such a huge domino effect because accountants have such a big influence on businesses and people and, you know, accountants are the most trusted professional in the, apart from, say, doctors, but, you know, way above lawyers and, you know, that kind of thing in, in the business environment. You know, such a huge way to be able to influence the market and the economy and in terms of economics, it creates a huge domino effect. So if they can help their business clients run their businesses properly because, uh, you know, the failure rate of small businesses is huge. I just felt like, you know, it was a better use of my time rather than, you know, serving at, you know, breakfast at Salvation Army somewhere that wouldn't give the same traction as it would with by helping, you know, accountants. What do you give, you get mm. back. Yes, well, I, that's what I've seen. I, I've mm. seen that, um, you know, from a young man growing up, running my practice, I used to give quite a lot just to clients, accounting clients, tax clients. It was like a boomerang. You threw it out there and it just came back. You throw one boomerang and three boomerangs came back, so to speak. And I've seen that happen time and time again. So a lot of it was just me, who I was. I, I wasn't calculated, even calculated or strategic in that way. It was just me. And um, just being helpful, just wanted to help people. And of course, and then that sort of grew the practice and it just grew and grew and grew. And, and then I lost control of it because there was just too much work coming through. And then I had to then think, okay, how do I, how do I handle the work? Because 
I came across like a crossroads where I thought, I can't keep this going because it wasn't sustainable. Like I couldn't. Mm. I was only working, 24 hours. Yeah, I was working 100 hours a week back then and I had a young family. A daughter was just born and it was just killing me and the wife wasn't seeing me. And Anyway, I was, I was thinking of selling the practice and then um, I realised it wasn't what you did but how you did it because if you don't change how you do it, and then you change what you do, then within a few years you'll replicate what you created in the first, the problems you created in the first one in the second one. And you see clients do that. You know, my own tax clients used to sell this industry and go into another industry and then sell it and then go into another industry. They keep changing what they do, but they don't change how they do it. And that's not sustainable. So when I learned that, I changed how I did things and then, you know, it's been really good to me since. So it was all in the, in the how. It wasn't in the what. I'm not sure where I spoke to you about that, but in the past, but it, it is definitely in, in the how. Everybody tells you what to do, but nobody tells you how to do it, you know, because I've been through the whole thing. And there's now 160 staff in the whole group. And the biggest challenge is actually managing people and leading them. That's the leadership people that's difficult. And that's what people struggle with. If you don't change how you do things, then, and if you just constantly change what you do, then you'll never find the right thing. You know, two businesses can do the same thing in terms of what they do, but they do it differently. Each business does it differently, and one's more successful than the other. And it all comes down to how. And until I found out the how, you know, I was struggling with trying to manage the volume of work coming through and all that. train your staff because it is all about leadership and for most people they're taught how to do the work but they're not taught how to lead people and uh, often when they get promoted from a grinder to a manager to a minder and they're expected to do to manage their people and manage the, the clients they don't know how to do it and I keep saying it's not how well you do a tax return that that will make you successful it's how well you manage your people, your staff, your clients, and the systems and the processes that are in there that runs the whole thing. And it has to be run from bottom up. And I call it bottom up management, not top down management. And top down management is like control and command. You know, you do it my way or else. And uh, if you run it like that, then like if you run it like control and command, you've got to be there to do it, uh, number one. Number two is that you win people's heads, but you won't win their hearts. What I mean by that is, is because they'll do things because they have to do it. They won't do things because they want to do it. And you want them to want to do it. Otherwise, they won't run the business for you. You always have to be there to, uh, to run it and to tell them what to do and so forth. So you, you need to have the systems, the processes. You then have to have the ideal team structure. You then have to have the right leadership. So I call that the three pillars of the accountancy practice, and you've got to get all three right. One without the others won't work. If you get that right, it goes from managing your traffic flow, which is the hardest thing, Heidi, the hardest thing to manage a business, let alone an accountancy business, is managing your traffic flow. In the accountancy business, 
is, is a huge amount of traffic, meaning that, you know, the traffic is made up of communication traffic, you know, things like um, emails, phone calls, meetings, you know, and people expect you to, to add value to them, you know, strategy work, that kind of stuff. And then there's production traffic, which is doing the work. So they'll give you their tax returns to do or their financials to do. They'll want you to do, you know, their BAS. They want you to do their, um, their payroll and uh, bookkeeping. So you need to get the work done as well. And managing that traffic flow is what kills county practices. Of course, it's the same with businesses per se because it's, uh, you know, some business have, businesses have less, less traffic flow the less traffic flow you have, the, the easier it is to manage it. It's just the ones that have high traffic flow. So accounts and practice will get lots and lots of emails and you can't charge for a lot of the emails. So you've got to have a process in place that handles that without sending you broke because at the end of the day, if you spend all day answering emails and not charging the clients for the work, then you'll easily go broke or you end up working very, very long hours and not getting a fair remuneration for the effort you put in. They're the kind of challenges and, and you'll find that if you don't run it, if you don't get the three pillars right, you, you're working very long hours and uh, you won't get the right remuneration for the hours that you put in. Unless it's a passion and unless it's a, a hobby, then you, it's got to be commercial and that's what WISE is. It's helping to turn that into a a um, commercial enterprise that pays you a fair return on the investment that you put in and also it helps it run without you. For me, it wasn't so much the money. It was more about having more choices in my life and I, I was becoming a prisoner in my business and, you know, I wanted to, you know, work if I wanted to work, uh, work the, the kind of work I wanted to work, not a lot of things I didn't want to do. So if you don't get it right, if you don't get that business working right, then you are a prisoner to it because you're, you, know, you won't be able to go away on holidays, you won't have time with the family. And uh, for the first sort of four years of running my, my business, it was like that because I was just doing it by brute force. And eventually your bandwidth, if you like, runs out and you've only got 24 hours in a day, and which is the reason why... Some firms say to me when I meet them, they say they say to me, oh, I don't want to grow anymore, Ed. And what they mean by that is I that can't work any harder. I can't work any harder. And if I get more work coming in, I associate that with more pain. So they associate growth with pain. So they don't want the pain. So they say, I don't want to grow anymore. But if you run it properly and you have all the systems in place and the processes in place, you can grow without any pain. And if you can grow without any pain, I don't know of anybody who wouldn't want to grow because you need to grow because if you don't grow, you die. In business, if you don't grow, you die. And what I mean by that is because your costs are going up. You know, your staff wages need to go up. Your costs around you are going up. And if you don't grow, then you're going backwards. So there is only two states in an accountancy, in a, in a business. There are just those, these two states, either growth or death, <laughs> they're just the two states. So you need to grow. And of course, you can't grow unless you get your house in order. You can't grow unless you get your foundation right. And you can't get your foundation right if you don't have the right people in the right seats. And if you don't know how to manage your traffic flow, because it will drown you. I compare it with water running through a pipe. 
if it's free down the pipeline, the water just flows really, really freely. But if you have a blockage down the pipe somewhere, the water comes back and it generally hits you and it generally comes back and hits the partner. And uh, what I mean by that is all the work piles on their desk and then they they really feel the pain. It's because there's a blockage down that pipe somewhere. And often the blockages are created by, it's mainly created by the owners of the business. They don't understand how they need to remove those blockages. Firstly, they don't understand the blockages and they don't understand how the blockages has this domino effect where it um, the water then comes back and they don't and they just think that there's a whole lot of um, work that I've got to do and I've just got to go and hire more people and they think that the answer is to throw people at the problem and that's not the answer right it's uh, the, the the answer is to get the right systems in place it's the answer is to get your blueprint right and uh, you start with your blueprint and then based on that blueprint then you hire people you don't do it the other way around most firms do it the other way around they react to the, to the problem and uh, if you react to the problem then you end up with a business that's all over the place it's it the water doesn't flow it's like a leaky hose there's water leaking out of that hose all over the place. And then you've got to then try and stop that leakage from all these different, like a thousand holes on this pipe. And you've got to try and, you know, put a Band-Aid on all these, these holes on this pipe instead of it all flowing down the pipe efficiently and effectively. And that's what the three pillars is about. you tell me what the three pillars are? Yes, the three pillars of uh, an accounting firm is firstly to is their systems and processes. So you've got to get your systems and processes right. And what I mean by that is um, it starts with obviously the really basic things like, you know, decide on the software package. And most of the software packages, whether it's, you know, zero or, or class or they do a pretty good job. It's just in the margins that are different. So some prefer this one to that one because of the margins. You know, they just have a preference to doing it this way or that way. But in the main, about 80% of them, them work. So that's the first thing, obviously, is to get the right tool, the, the software, to do the work. But because most of them work, it's not where the success is. It's um, You can pick any one of them and they will work pretty well. Where the success is is in how you put it all together. The processes is around, you know, things like your team structures and uh, how you've got to have policies in place so that it doesn't create confusion. Whenever you have confusion, it's because there's no policy. Once you put the policy in place, then it calms things down. Things like job descriptions, and that's what I found with uh, this, is that if you, if you don't have a, a way of doing things and then document it, and you create a void, that void gets filled with all sorts of things and generally takes you down the wrong path. So you need to, you know, put a policy in place and that calms things down. The way that you manage the traffic flow has to do with the second pillar, which is your getting the right team structure in place. I call it the ideal team structure. And the ideal team structure is set up to manage this traffic flow because there are two traffic flows, as I was saying earlier. There's your communication traffic and your production traffic. 
and they're two different types of traffic and it requires two different types of individuals to manage that and often people look for accountants that they're looking for an employee and they're looking for someone who who is good at everything because they their own blueprint is wrong and their own blueprint is based on a a flat structure a, a flat um, team structure and it should be a narrow and deep structure but they go with a flat structure most of the time they don't know that they're doing that and they don't know that that's going to cause a problem and the problem it causes is quite a lot firstly you won't be able to scale you won't be able to grow because it's it's too flat and you end up it ends up creating a blockage of this pipeline and the work comes back and and lands on your desk the second thing is that it's very difficult to find that person that's got all the skills. You know, um, people say to me, oh, I want someone who is really fast, who can do the work really quickly, they make no mistakes, they've got really good English and they can got really good interpersonal skills so they can communicate with the client. They're looking for this superstar and everybody else is looking for that same superstar because most accountancy practices run their business on a flat structure as well. So everyone's after this one person, and of course, you know, you have to pay a lot of money to get this person, and often lots of people are after them, and they end up going to the highest bidder, so you, you, you can't retain them. So often I hear accountants complain, their complaints are that they can't find good people, and then when they do find them, they can't retain them. And if you address the problem and not the symptoms, that's just a symptom. The problem is that they're running a wrong, the wrong uh, team structure. They're running a very flat team structure and not a deep and narrow, a narrow and deep structure, team structure. So that's the second pillar. So if we can get that right, if we can separate out the communication traffic from the production traffic and then hire people with the right skill set to handle both. The communication traffic obviously needs to be taken care of or looked after by someone who's got really good interpersonal skills and communication skills. And then the production traffic, like doing the work, will obviously need someone who's very, very good at doing work, not necessarily communicating, but someone who's quick and fast and accurate. And generally, they're two different types of people. And it's a lot easier to find those people if you isolated the two skills rather than trying to find the same person to, who has both those skills. And um, if you're looking for people and then you identify it down to that particular skill set, then you're going to find it a bit easier to find that person rather than looking for that person that's got everything, number one. Number two is that that person's going to stay a lot longer because they're doing what they want to do and they're, they're really good at it. So if the person is a grinder, and that's what you need in the production section and not a minder, but you put a lot of pressure on them to do finding and minding, but they're really a grinder and they're very comfortable in grinding, they'll feel a lot of pressure and then they'll leave because they're not in their flow. Or as the leader, you've put them into a, a job where it's outside their flow and then they're not comfortable with it. They might be able to do it for a little while, but they can't sustain it long term. And it's a bit like swim against the tide. 
So if you're not a people person and you're expected to, you know, be a people person, you might be able to sustain that for a short period of time, but you know, every day you'd be absolutely exhausted and you would come home absolutely exhausted and you can't sustain that. So you, you end up leaving, right? So you end up losing people if you don't put them in their flow and keep them in their lane, suppose, so to speak. And of course, the, the people who are people, communication type people, you know, they get really bored with just sitting there doing the work. And they obviously need to know how to do the work because when they're in front of the clients, they they have to do what I call, they have to sell the sizzle, not necessarily the sausage. To sell the sizzle, you've got to know. What the sausage the tastes sausage. like. That's right. You've got to know what it's like to be able to have credibility when you're in front of the client. So that particular person needs to have been a grinder and gone through, you know, his or her apprenticeship to know what the sausage tastes like to be able to sell to sell the sizzle. And the smaller your practice, the more you have your foot, if you like, in each of the, the seven divisions. So you've got you've got seven divisions when you build your business and you need the smaller you are, the more boxes that you're responsible for and the idea is that as you grow the business you withdraw and replace yourself with the right person for that particular division so in the last talk we had we talked about our seven divisions and um, the first division you remove yourself from is you know or the administration division and then you continue to withdraw from that and you replace yourself. So first person you find is an admin person that would then basically become your office manager, if you like. So he or she then runs all the administration. And they're not an accountant, but they're an administrator. They, you know, they run the business for you. You know, they, they um, make sure that things are happening and uh, everything is being moved along and happening. And uh, that's the first division you move yourself from. And then, you know, the second one is then you move yourself from that's Division 6 and the Division 7, which is your accounts, invoicing, raising invoices and your debtors and your whip and all that. You find someone to take that on, right? And then you you um, then remove yourself from, uh, from there. Then it's the uh, Division 4 is the production division where you're doing the producti- production work, the grinding work. And you withdraw yourself from there, and then you find someone to replace you in that division, and then that leaves you with the division three, which is um, sales. And sales is where you, and the accountants don't like the word sales. So the, the trusted advisor, the the one that sees the clients, talks to clients, has really good interpersonal skills, and he is what I call, or he or she is what I call you know, the trusted advisor and she or she is the one that manages the communication traffic and they're the ones that needs to have, you know, the interpersonal skills, the communication skills, and they still need to know what a sausage tastes like, but they need to talk about the sizzle. And then you, for most firms, you know, that takes a lot more time to let that one go. Wouldn't that be the last one you let go? No, the last one is more the marketing and the, you always sit on the board. So the division one is, you know, your board of directors where strategy and um, direction of the company is decided upon. The second division is your marketing division where you determine the kind of um, marketing that you do. 
and you should still hold that role because that's very important. That's close to, you know, the division one, which is strategy direction of where the company is to go. Because it's then, you know, then that shapes the kind of marketing that you'll do. So they're the last two divisions. Like I just uh, now my role here, for example, is a is a non-executive chairman. So I just sit on the board. I don't get involved in any of the other divisions. I don't even get involved with the division two, which is marketing. Although I still have a little bit of involvement there because, you know, that's where the brand is. That's where the, you know, the culture is. That's where your point of difference is. So I'd like a, a, a strong influence on, on those things. I still hold that role. Eventually uh, I'll remove myself completely from that role as well. I have... Quite a few questions for yes. you. The first one is, what is Division 5 again? Division 5? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's I, miss, I must have missed that. That's the quality, the quality division. I see. And yes. how quickly would you pull out of that? Fairly at the start or after production? Yes, after production okay. because you need to keep, you still need to keep an, an eye on quality, you know, the checks and balances and so forth. So that would be after you pulled yourself out of production. Okay, good. So to summarise the mm -hmm. order of which you would pull out, of course, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to always be exactly in that order. But mm. based on your experience, this order has made the most sense. You start with admin. Which you, is division six. Yes, yeah. you, you pull out of admin, division mm -hmm. six. Then you pull out of invoicing, division seven. seven. Then you pull out of production, division four. four. Then you pull out of quality control, Correct. division five. Then... Big step, you pull out of sales, Division yes. three. 3. I can imagine that is quite a big step. That is a big step, yes. And then for a while you hang on to Division 2 and 1, which are marketing and board slash strategy. Correct. But then slowly with time, you might also pull out of Division 2 marketing and then just hold on to the board, the board decision. decision. Yes, and of course, the you know, if you pull out of the board decision, then you're a shareholder and, um, and you're purely a shareholder. I've not done that yet. I'm still on the board and I'm still got my foot in the division two, which is the marketing. It's mainly because our group is so large that we've got offices around Australia and they rely on head office, if you like, to handle the marketing. So I, I have a, an influence on the on the marketing division and, and the board. So I'm, I'm in those two boards. And then eventually, you know, I might just be a shareholder but at the moment I enjoy the board I enjoy the marketing so I'll continue to do that and and it's important for the marketing because it grows the business for everyone but marketing is probably also the area where you should pull in experts fairly soon to yes. get the marketing right yes to grow the butterfly garden with marketing it's interesting it's uh it's made up of three levels so the first level of marketing is still grinding. You know, someone to do the work, to do the, the, the grinding work of marketing. To post the Facebook posts yes. and to... Produce a brochure to, um, you know, do all the grinding work. The second level is the managing, the minding. So you need someone to manage all of that. You know, if someone says, I'd like to um, do some paper clicks so you need to manage that to make sure that it's getting done and, and so forth. So you need a manager to manage it. And then the first level is more strategy. So you've got to create all the strategies, get the manager to agree to those strategies and put a plan in place to make sure it gets implemented and then to work out a plan to bring the team together as to how to implement that. So the manager does all that. And then, of course, below that, you've got to have your grinders to do the work 
And often accountancy firms or even just businesses don't understand that. They go, well, yes, I'll go hire a marketer. And my response is always, which level of marketing are you talking about? Because if you hire a grinder, they still need direction because they won't know what to do. They know how to put a brochure together. They'll know how to post something on social media. They may even know how to, which is unusual, but they may even know how to run a pay-per-click on Facebook. They may even know how to do a Google review from your clients, but they'll still need someone to manage them to make sure it's all getting done. And of course, if they're a grinder, they won't know strategy. So you need someone at a high level to bring strategy to the table so you could put a plan together so that the manager can manage the work getting done and, and rally the people behind him or her to get actually get the work done. Now, obviously, the smaller you are, if you could hire somebody who could, who could do all three, but that'd be very unusual because the people who are very good on strategy won't want to do grinding and the people who simply do grinding, they won't know strategy. The only way to combine all three in one hit would be to hire an agency where the principal does the strategy and then they have a minder and then they have the grinders doing actual Correct. work. Correct. But if you want to have the team in-house, then it will be difficult to have one person who can cover all three. Correct. And it might be stages that you need to go through. So firstly, you might have to have an agency that does everything for you. And that's quite expensive because they... Very expensive. Yes, they've got to make profit. Uh, the next stage could be is a combination of hiring your own person that does all the grinding but using an agency for more strategy work. And then, uh, you know, the third one, which is where we are, we've got our own manager and we've got our own grinders doing the marketing and we outsourced a lot of the strategy work for marketing. So again, it's to do with size and scale. So the bigger you are, the more resources you have, and the smaller you are, the, the harder it is because you don't just don't have those resources to do the work. to the three pillars yeah, uh, just to make sure I got them all. Mm -hmm. So the first pillar is system and processes and I have some more questions for you about those mm -hmm. in a minute. But so the first pillar is system and processes. The second pillar is team structure. Great. And have you already covered the third pillar or the third pillar no, is still coming? It's still coming. Okay, good. So then, <laughs> then I just ask you my questions now for okay. the first and second pillar. So sure. starting with systems and processes, mm -hmm. the systems is the software the tech stack basically, the accounting software you have and all the apps you plug into this accounting software. Yes. But then the processes would be the policies, the job descriptions, the workflow, how you manage the workflow around this tech stack Correct. you have. Correct. The traffic flow, managing the traffic flow is probably the most important thing in, in that uh, first division Yes. because it, otherwise it drowns you. The traffic drowns you. If you don't have processes and systems to flow the work through the organisation, it will just drown you. And up to about 600,000 in fees, you can hold it all together by brute force, uh, working long hours and um, working extra hours. But once you get to about a million, that's where most practices hemorrhage. They hemorrhage at about 1 to 1.2 million and they can't do it by brute force anymore. And then they've got to, they might have five, four or five, six employees, 
and then leadership needs to kick in. For you to go beyond a 1.2 million, it's about leadership and that's the third pillar. And if you don't show leadership and also train your people on leadership, then it won't go beyond 1.2 mil. And that's what most practices have an issue. Obviously, a lot of practices have an issue at 600,000, but they all come to me when they hit 600 or 1.1, about 1 mil, 1.1 per partner, by the way. There's a $5 million practice around five partners, about four to five partners. If it's a $10 million practice, turnover practice is around 10 partners, nine to 10 partners. And if you look at the BRW... And that is with that is with having correct. all three pillars in order? No, that's with two pillars in order. Okay. Yeah, and then they're missing the third pillar, which is leadership. So they hemorrhage at about 1 million without the leadership. They'll get it to 1 million with a combination of processes, team structure and brute force, but they can't get it beyond that. And if you look at the BRW's top 100 accounting firms, pretty much all of them. Are you in them? Yes, we are. Oh, really? What, yes. what position? We're number 27, I think. Wow, yes. that's very impressive. Yes. And, uh, but if you look at them um, and you, you, if you drill into each of the practices, bar a handful, most of them hit about 1 to 1.4 million per partner and then they can't grow it anymore. And their strategy to grow their business is to bring more partners in. Okay, so that's not a... That's a consequence of not having the three pillars in place. Yeah. So they resort to bringing a partner in to grow the business, bringing another finder, if you like. You know, in the spirit of grinding, mining and finding, these accountancy practices grow by their strategy for growth is to bring a partner in, another partner in who's a finder. But the problem with that model is that if I take that partner out of there, that's the end of your growth. And of course, you know, if you have a dispute with the person and they leave and they take a million dollars of fees away from you, then you'll you'll lose your growth because the growth is built around people and not around systems. So it has to be around systems, not people. That's how we've built Chain and Ella. We've built I was telling you last in our last talk that a lot of firms grow by catching butterflies with a butterfly net. So their partners are finders. And we prefer to build a garden that attracts butterflies to us. And the difference between the two is cost, but, you know, one's long-term cost, what I call an investment, long-term investment. And um, the other one is a quick fix, bringing a partner in. It fixes something, like, quickly, and it may or may not work long-term for, you know, People have lots of partnership disputes and so forth, and it all falls apart. But, you know, I, I prefer uh, a model where you built the garden and you've got to maintain the garden. There's cost to maintain the garden, but, but you own the garden and it doesn't go anywhere. So the third pillar, leadership, mm-hmm. brings in the systems. Basically, fine-tunes the systems and processes and fine-tunes the team structure so that it can handle more than a million dollars per partner. Brings everything together and leads. Without leadership, leadership brings everything together. I can put the best system in your company. I can put the best people in your organization. I can build the best blueprint. But without that leadership, it will just stay there. It won't go anywhere. And when I say leadership, I'm talking, I'm not talking about you know, all the rah-rah stuff that you hear. You know, I'm not even referring to, you know, like the Prime Minister of Australia, that kind of leadership. I'm talking about leadership throughout the organisation. I'm talking from the, the owner, who's the CEO, all the way through to the receptionist who answers the phone. 
We need to empower them with leadership so that they run the business from bottom up, not from top down, which is done by control and command. But that needs the person at the top to lead that, to encourage, to educate, to empower, to motivate. And then if you have the right person in the seat, then they will become empowered and motivated. You got the wrong person in the street and you, you won't get, doesn't matter how hard you try to um, empower them and educate them, you can't change your leopard spots. That's what I found. You've got to make sure that 80% of who they are fit that particular job that you're trying to do. And then you can then train the last 20%. And But if you do it the other way around, if you have someone that's only 20% and you try to train 80% into them, it will fail. And some may be able to fake it for a little while, um, but most of the time it's very difficult to sustain it long, long term. It's a bit like, you know, trying to make a grinder into a finder or even the grinder into a minder. It's, um, you know, they could fake it for you know, a month, but it's hard work. It's like swimming against the tide if you're doing something that's against your nature. So it's always better to find someone that's in the, that role, that job description fits their nature, and then you train the last 20%, fine-tune the last 20%, and that's much better. And, of course, you won't know that unless you start with the right blueprint, so the, you know, we run the right a, a blueprint for an accountancy practice, and that blueprint is the basis upon which how you should grow your business. Once you get that blueprint in place, that's your the second pillar, which is your ideal team structure. Then it becomes very clear who you need on your team. So um, you know you, you know uh, which person you need to hire for what role. And it becomes a little bit easier, well, a lot easier. And then you can look at the people that's in your team and you're always, as the owner of the, or the, the CEO of your business, you're always looking ahead. You're always planning ahead. So you're looking at, you know, who you've got, who's potentially going to leave, the growth pace of your organisation. So if you're growing very fast, then, you know, you should be recruiting in anticipation of that growth. And then it helps you identify the holes, the holes or the weaknesses in your team. And then that helps you identify who you should be looking for to fill that today, but in anticipation of one or two years, you know, into the future. That's how important that blueprint is. And and that's why, you know, again, you know, I keep harping on this, but most firms hit 1.2, one, one, between 1 and 1.2, 1.4, and they hemorrhage because they don't know the blueprint and uh, they've gotten away with it by doing it the way they're doing it. The water is flowing through the pipe and there's only a few leakages. And because there's only a few leakages, the owner can cover for that. But when you get it to, for example, in our organisation, we can go up to 5 million per partner. That means that, you know, the system is running the business. The owner is not doing it by brute force, so they're not covering or they're not, you know, they're not the ones that are, you know, trying to put a Band-Aid on the, the holes that are in this pipe. The pipe is solid and it's taking the water and it's flowing the workload through the pipe and it's nice and smooth and um, efficient. Mm. 
Looking at Shannon Naylor, you now have 12 offices. Somewhere it said 11 offices it's, and then somewhere it no, said it's, 12 it, offices. It's, it's a bit confusing. It's 11 accountancy offices, but we have other offices that do things like finance and financial planning and insolvency. And uh, we have a business coach, uh, business coaching that does business coaching for our clients as well. So there are more than 11 accountancy offices, but in terms of accountancy offices, there's 11. I see. Okay. So your top office has 5 million per partner. Now, How how is it scattered across the 11 offices? Let let me think. Um, We've got our biggest office is uh, 4 mil, then it goes to 3 mil, and then from there, there's quite a few at around a million to 1.6 mil. And then the smallest ones are around, the smallest one's 600, and the next one is 800. So that's sort of the range. I see. So your largest one has 4 million? 4 million, yes. Oh, I see, not 5 million. I misunderstood. No, because of our system, that 4 million practice, or all the offices can go to 5 mil without needing another partner. So because it is the strength of the system. So they're set up for 5 million. Mm -hmm. One of the offices at the moment is hitting 4 million million. on the way to 5 million. Correct. And it's only run by one partner. So you know how I was saying to you, most cancer office has about a million per partner. Yes. Well, ours can go to 5 million per partner before you need to put another partner on. So that shows you the Mm. strength of the system. And it's not done by hiring more people it's it's the strength of the system that runs the practice and that's what you want you know because you own the system unfortunately you don't own people (laughs) and they come and go but you do own the system so it's it's worth investing into your own system welcome back so the three pillars of growth are one having well-integrated systems and clear processes, two, setting up an ideal team structure for your practice, and three, having leadership, bringing it all together. Over the next two episodes, episode 199 and 200, Edward Chen will talk about the ideal team structure for your accounting and tax practice. We already touched on this in this episode, but Ed will go into a lot more depth over the next two episodes. Until then, Thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.